on TV, online, and Encore. Say Encore. This is EPT Not Live. Uncle, Uncle, I give, I give up, I give up, we're back, hello my babies and welcome to EPG Not Live, back from summer vacation, coming up on today's show, James went on two vacations, James two holidays Hartigan they're calling him, wow, no one's calling him that except for him, but he's, he's fine with it, <laughs> guess what guys, I moved back to America, they finally found you. They finally put you on a plane and exported you from this fair isle. I am gone, except for now. I'm here in London again somehow. In poker news, the World Series of Poker happened. Daniel Negrano, he did something. He went super deep. So close to making the November 9th. But he is not so close to being on today's show because he is, in fact, on today's show. We'll be talking Special guest star. to Daniel later on, the biggest star in the poker universe. We're also back on TV and yes. back on YouTube. Yes. So we've got the PCA Super High Roller Final Table Show to discuss. We've got another edition of Superfan versus Stapes with Christian from Scotland. And, of course, I would be nothing without the guy behind the guy, my work wife, James Hardigan. What's up, my baby? So we had this wonderful break from doing TV shows, from doing EPT Not yes. Live. And as soon as we get back to work, as soon as you arrive back in London and we have a full schedule ahead of us of voiceover and podcast, I get sick. Yeah, you get a little sick. I got the green tea in front of me, which is keeping the lurgy off my larynx, drinking plenty of water and taking lots of meds. I'm the kind of person how now, James, I, I don't want you to take this personally, but I am the kind of person that whenever someone says they're sick, I never believe them right away. Like I always think I was shitting it on Sunday because we we're recording the show on Wednesday. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, we voiced three TV shows. On Sunday, the day I'm meant to be preparing those TV shows, I'm literally sitting on my sofa, shaking. Yeah. And thinking, oh Christ, they can't change Joe's flights. Uh, we've got this gig in Toronto coming up, so there's no margin for error. How the hell am I going to get through this? And I did start panicking slightly. But luckily, Saturday and Sunday were the worst That days. email was so panicky. That's what it makes me, I'm like, this is so, there's like so much thought was put into this into this email and again it's don't take it personally i just that's always my instinct and i always think that whenever i'm sick people will think i'm faking so it's I, I always go through this weird thing where like i just show up to whatever it's supposed to be anyway because i'm afraid if i don't go they'll think i'm faking and then people are like why did you come why yeah. are you here go home i feel sorry for you because this is our third day in a row we've spent in a in very small enclosed space everyone else it's great it's like an incubator there's a big glass screen and they're like watching me like i'm some scientific experiment waiting for me to break out it's in like hives. project x where you're like try you're like tapping the like the little chimp tapping the glass just wants the cigarette before he dies of radiation poisoning yeah but you've been locked in here you are that chimp i am the chimp for sure well the thing is like i i'm pretty sure that i've just just been sick for the last year and a half. Like I don't think I can get any more illnesses. The irony is, obviously, we when we record the shows, it, it's not done live. We we stop, we do retakes, and I think we had just as many stops yesterday for you to cough as there were for me. Yeah, I just I have wicked throat problems these days. I don't. Have to do, I think it's mostly because I just don't sleep. Like I just I never sleep. Huff, my old uh, radio partner, calls me a mutant. Because I sleep like three or four hours a night. When I first moved back to the States, so I got this apartment now in New Jersey. Um, so it faces New York City, it faces east. And every morning, uh, the sun starts pouring in about five in the morning. And I didn't have curtains. 
for the first couple of weeks. Ugh. And so I was I was coming in that from sucks. from New York City like at four and waking up at six thirty, just being like blinded every day. So like my first two weeks living back home, I did not sleep at all. Uh, the move went really well. I was actually a little bit worried uh, because apparently U.S. Customs is really. Um, want you to be really specific when you ship boxes back. And I just wrote on my boxes like clothes. DVDs. No, they literally want like one shirt, yeah. one pair of trousers, yeah, they really three do. pairs of socks but with I wrote, holes. I wrote in, yeah, you have to include all the holes in them, all of the stains. Um, I wrote on the boxes like, uh, used to live in U.S. returning, personal effects returning to U.S. I don't know if that mattered or not. All my boxes showed up, except one of them looked like I'd been thrown down a flight of stairs. Um, only one thing got broken in all my boxes, which I was pretty uh, excited about. So, yeah, like I live in uh, Hoboken slash Jersey City, New Jersey. Now I live right on the border. It's one subway stop from New York City. Got a big, nice apartment with the air conditioning, which has been handy because it's been fucking hot in New York the last couple of weeks. I can see the Statue of Liberty from my bedroom. Very excited to be home. I'm excited for money. That's all the same size and color again. Um, the hilarious just, thing is, before you went, you had how many leaving dues? There was that you did the comedy gig that yeah. we all came to. Uh, there was drinks the following evening, and I'm saying, look, obviously we're saying goodbye to Joe. He's leaving London, but guys, he's going to be back in three weeks. He's going to be at every live event we do. We're going to see him for exactly the same number of days. Pretty much the same, yeah. Like, because when I'm when I come in, like, I don't really see you when I'm not working no. anyway. We see each other two or three days a week for work. Nothing has changed. Yeah, it's been it's very similar. It's just now I just go to a hotel instead when I'm done for the night, and I still am tindering up a storm. It's just I'm doing it from a hotel room instead of my apartment. That's all. If anything, I'm going to be more social now that I don't have like a home to go home to. I'll probably go like hang out more and go to dinners and stuff. Because it's less appealing for me to go sit in my hotel room than it was sure. my apartment. One thing I think you should explain, Joe, and the reason why we didn't talk about your move back to America yeah. on previous editions of the show and why you didn't necessarily reveal it on social media until you'd already relocated is you were trying to a certain degree to keep this a secret. You wanted it to be a surprise. Yes, I was surprising my parents and I pulled it off. Like my parents had no idea um, keeping a transatlantic move a secret for months. It's not like I planned it like a month ahead of time. Like I knew probably six, seven months ago that I was going to be leaving and I wanted to surprise my parents. My parents have really missed me. They're getting older. I worry about them a little bit. Part of the reason I want to move home. Now, my parents live in Albany, New York. I'm, I moved to New York City, basically. They're about three hours apart, which is a great distance to be. I can get up there when I need to, but it's like too far away for too many visits. So what I do is I flew into the States on the 3rd, did the 4th of July in New York City, and then my dad's birthday is on the 6th. So on the 5th, I took a train up, uh, up to Albany to see my yeah. parents. And I joked a lot about, oh, my parents are going to be so excited. I'm probably going to give them a heart attack. Well, I... <laughs> I took a train home. I took a cab from the train station. I ring my parents' doorbell like seven o'clock on a Sunday night and they don't answer the door. And I'm like, what the fuck? What could they possibly be doing? So I take out my phone. There was phone. a law and order marathon on TV. They're not to be disturbed. That's right. Dun, dun. That's all they hear. Um, and so, yeah, they don't answer the door. And then the dog is barking and I'm just like, this doesn't feel right. What's going on? And I yeah. take out my phone to just call the house just to see if they're in there somewhere. And I have a text message from my brother. Mom's had a heart attack. She's at the hospital. So my mom literally had a heart attack the day I got back, but not because of me, which I was a little upset about because I'm like, well, if she's going to have a heart attack, I would have at least liked it to be because, <laughs> centric be shit. because of my return. And then the other thing, it totally took the wind out of my surprise. <laughs> 
Like, it's no longer, hey, welcome home, Joe. It's like, oh, Ma had a heart attack. Is she okay? Like, are you sure you're not an only child because you are exhibiting signs of selfishness normally reserved for this only was children? unbelievable. But then going to the hospital was really weird because I was like, well, first of all, the cab driver, right, was lying to his dispatcher about having a passenger when I was in the car. And so the dispatcher's like, ah, oh, we got to pick up for you. And he's like, oh, sorry, I'm such and such a place. I was in the car because he was going to pocket my fare. So when I got out and I needed a cab immediately again to go to the hospital, he wasn't available, even though I could still see his taillights in the distance. I had to wait 15 minutes for another cab. And I'm, it's driving me crazy. My mom's in the hospital. She's having a heart attack. So when I get to the hospital, I'm like, look, I'm like sneaking around. Cause I don't know if she's in the waiting room or what's going on. Like, I don't want her to see me and freak out and maybe make things worse. So I'm like creeping around the hospital trying to make sure I don't accidentally find her. And then I go to tell like the people at reception and they don't care. Like, I'm like, okay guys, here's a long story. I've been living overseas. And I just came home today to surprise my mom. But at the same time, she's having a heart attack. And I just, I just don't want her to see me. I want someone to tell her first. Yeah. yeah whatever pal. We're trying to save lives here. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't care. So anyway, I end up seeing her. She's fine. And my mom, she's very cute. My mom is very religious. So my mom thanked Jesus. Mom was like, I, I, Jesus told me you were coming home. You were going to be. So you tried to keep it a secret, but bloody Jesus Jesus ruined it. it as usual. It's always running off at the mouth. Yeah. So she said that it, I was like, oh, great. Yeah. Thanks. Thank Jesus. I had nothing to do with it. Francine Watson, who allowed me to move back to America, had nothing to do with it keep my job so yes uh, but there was this other thing that happened too the only other funny thing that happened when i was visiting my parents is that so i love the fact you described that as a funny thing it was funny i Your mean mother, it was funny just to be clear though joe because obviously i'm going to exhibit signs Some of concern sympathy. for other people <laughs> is your mom okay yeah she's fine okay good she's fine she was like you know she's like a typical she my mom's a badass right she's like a typical like battle axe mom were like she was most upset about the fact that her hair looked bad like when i came in like that I've, I've met your mom and i can imagine i can see her yeah she's just that. like yeah. you know she's a tough lady so um you know and we all when i say none of us were that concerned it wasn't out of being uncaring but like medical science is great and everyone in the hospital was super calm and my dad was calm we all just kind of took it in stride and it it in the nicest way possible it wasn't a big deal like it was, of course we were concerned, but every, everything turned out fine. Now, I don't remember if I told you this or not. I definitely didn't talk about it on the air, but a few, so years ago, like 15 years ago, my brother came home from college one time and, and dropped off his cat. He brought his cat home and then was like, oh, by the way, I can't bring the cat back. It's your cat now. So he dumped this cat on my parents like 15 years ago. My mom nice. has been taking care of it ever since, you know, has been, just been my mom's little project and the cat had been sick. For like, and this might story might make you sad, James, because I know you love cats. But um, so the cat had been sick for a while. My mom had been taking back and forth. So let me vet. get this right. First of all, you dismiss your mom having a heart attack as a funny story. Now you're <laughs> going to tell quote another funny story, and it involves something nasty happening to a cat. It's not. It's not something nasty happening to a cat. I mean, look, it's the it's the circle of life. So anyway, so the cat had been sick, and uh, my mom had been bringing it back and forth to the vet, and she's like, I don't know what to do. He won't eat. He's getting thin. I was like, Mom, sometimes you know, animals they just get old and, and they die. Like it happens, and I'm I'm not saying it's not sad, but it happens. So one day, like maybe two weeks before I left, and I felt really bad about this. My mom's really really upset because the cat has disappeared, and she's like, it either ran away, but I don't know how it would have gotten out, or he went somewhere in the house to die. And I actually find this to be really sort of noble and weird and sad about animals, but a lot of times they know they're going to die and they go crawl away somewhere and, and just die off by yeah. themselves. Um, and so she didn't know where the cat was for about two weeks. And right before she went into the hospital, she's like, I know it died in the house because we can smell it, but we don't 
we don't know where it is. Oh, God. So when I'm in the hospital, she's like, please, please, before I get out, will you please just find the cat and take care of it? You've got to go back to your parents' house yes. and look for a dead cat. Yes. And I hadn't been home yet, so I don't know. And I open the door and immediately, like, that stench of death is, like, right there. Like, that. it's not horrible, but it's it's palpable. No, no, it, it, it is horrible. This the whole death story stink. is horrible. So... Uh, I go to, I'm like trying to find it. Now my brother flies home from LA the next day. So we're all, we're all in the house together, me and my brother and my dad. And we're, we're searching around the basement for it. And we, we just can't find it. We know the smell's coming from somewhere in the basement. We can't find it. We give up for the day. The next day I make it my mission. I'm going to find this. So I'm like on the, my hands and knees in the basement going, <laughs> like trying to figure out where the smell is coming from. And I finally locate like a general area and then I realized, do you remember, of course you remember, James, some of the younger uh, members of the audience may not remember this, but do you remember that all the TVs from our childhood were like encased in wood? Yeah. Right? They had like wood paneling around them. And a big bulging glass front. Exactly. And there's one, there are actually three of these TVs in my basement because my parents never throw anything away. They, in <laughs> fact, tried to give me this TV for my new apartment. I'm like, ma. Please. Here, have this black and white she's set like, from she's 1963. Like, she's like, if you need a TV, it was grandma's. And I was like, grandma died in 2009. Like, come on. <laughs> so this TV is down there. And like, I can tell that this is where it's coming from. And so I'm like, I I'm like, I'm not, I, I actually make this joke in my standup. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Batman. Right. And now not only am I not Batman, I'm not even a man. Like, I'm not a man at all. Like, last week I, I cried because my my Xbox broke, all right? So I know that there that this is coming from... So I'm like, John, look, to my brother, John, I'm going to turn the TV, the back of the TV. I don't want to be the one to, like, look inside the paneling. You do it. It was your cat. So my, I turn the TV out. My brother looks. He gasps and, like, runs up the stairs. And I'm like, hey, man, did you gasp because it's really gross? Or did you gasp because it was your cat and, like, you, you're sad? And he's like, I'm sad. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll deal with this. So I'm like, do we have any gloves? And my dad gives me like these late, these rubber gloves, like these very thin. And I'm like, no, not these gloves. I want some gardening gloves. Thick gardening right. gloves. So now I don't know what to do because I can see the, the cat's body inside the TV, but it's crawled into like a small space. And I don't want to fish it out of there. You know what I mean? I don't want to like work it out of this tiny little space, like like the wishbone in a game of operation. Like, because I'm, I'm afraid it's been there for a couple weeks. I'm afraid it's going to fall apart. Oh, Jesus right? Christ. So I what I do is I lift the TV up over it and set the TV down. And then it's just, it's there. And now I've never touched a dead thing before. And I don't like, yes, I know logically what's going to happen when I touch it. Nothing. But I really don't know that because I've never done it. So, of course, what I do next is I walk up and, like, poke it on the head and then run off, terrified, adrenaline pumping, hopping around the room, shaking. Well, I'm like, okay, okay, let's do this. Now, my mom has prepared. My mom has all these Christmas boxes because she loves Christmas. So, she decorates the boxes and then makes them so that you can just lift the top off and put a gift inside. So, she's prepared one of these Christmas boxes as a coffin for the cat. And so I get the box and I put it near it and I lift the cat up and I just like touch it as little as possible, drop it in the box. Now it's little legs are sticking out. <laughs> I have to force the legs. There is nothing funny about down this. Down into the box. Anyone who has lost a pet is not laughing right now. No, no. The thing is, I'm not laughing at the death of the pet. I'm laughing at having like just the, the, the absurdity of this situation. What was the cat's situation. name? Calvin. Calvin. And Calvin has to suffer the indignity of being buried in a cardboard box 
decorated no doubt with Christmas trees and baubles but my mom and a thought, fine ribbon on top. My mom thought this was an honor for the cat to be in the Christmas box. I don't think it's an indignity. So at this point, my brother's all like, I got this from here. Like once it's in the box, now he's like all of a sudden Mr. Man and he wants to go bury the cat in the backyard. And he decides that he's going to go bury the cat at the tree line. And I'm like, that's not a very good idea because he's digging up like a bunch of roots as he's doing. My brother manages to dig up the electric, like the electrified fence for the dog while he's doing it. So he, he digs up a bunch of wires, <laughs> costs my dad 150 bucks to have it fixed. And then I'm like, dude, just stop with this. Just stop. We're going to take it. It's what Calvin would have wanted. But we're going to take it to the vet. They cremate the pets there. And my brother's so tight, right? He's like, okay, I'll handle it. I'll, I'll take care of it. And then I see him and he puts the, he puts the cat in his trunk and a shovel and goes driving off because he's so freaking tight. He won't pay to have his cat cremated. And I, I've honestly, I bet that he didn't even take it to be, I don't even think he buried it. I'm pretty sure he just went and like threw it in a dumpster somewhere. No, that's not back. how Calvin's journey ends. That's right, it should He took be. it to the vet. Calvin has been cremated and is now in cat heaven. So anyway, I just wanted to, uh, just, just, just for Calvin, since James seems to, just a quick little, Calvin, you might've been a good cat. I, I don't know. I never really interacted with you. You didn't, you didn't really do much. The only time you ever let me pet you was when you were eating. Which is weird. I nominate that we dedicate today's show to Calvin. <laughs> Let's dedicate today's show to Calvin. The one, uh, my, here's my favorite Calvin story. Calvin, the one cool thing about him is he didn't really like to be touched. But if there was a, an insect on the ceiling, he would let you pick him up so he could whack at it on the ceiling. So he was like this little spider killing tool. Nice. That you could get in the Sky Mall. So anyway, Calvin, EPT Not Live, episode number 13. This one's for you. R.I.P. James, you want to do a little poker news? Yes! What's going on in poker today? Now it is time for EPT Not Live News. Yeah, so something happened in the world of poker. It was called uh, the World Series of Poker. Yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on it briefly before we went on summer vacation because the damn thing lasts about eight months. So it's been going on for a while. But there's a lot of excitement that always builds up to the main event, understandably because it is the main event. And this year, and I only discovered this when I got back from holiday, particular excitement because there was the prospect of a big name making the final table. Because Not a big name. The big name. Yeah. Because when you're talking about a, a tournament that's got, what, six and a half, close to 7,000 runners, the chances of having nine players at the final table who are known entities is slim. I think 2009, which is the second time they had the November 9th, Phil Ivey yeah. made the final table. That was a big deal. But this somehow felt even bigger. The prospect of Daniel Negreanu, of having Kid Poker come back in November and play on live TV for the World Championship. Yeah, I think that like Phil Ivey and Daniel are like the Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior of the poker world. You know, even if you're not into the sport or the game, like you tend to know who those two guys are. And if you don't know who one is, you usually know who the other is. And I think that that Daniel's more the Hulk Hogan. Like Daniel is the hero. You know, Phil Ivey's sort of a sort of a, a a rogue character, whereas Daniel's just the likable guy. Like everyone just likes him. And so not only do you have 
fans excited, but the media is excited and the TV is excited and the non-fans are excited. And it's just such a big deal. And the whole world was sweating it super hard. I kind of felt bad because when I went away on holiday number two, I did <laughs> decide to tune out of social media. And you you get that, Joe, because oh, you know what course. it's like. Dude, I, can, I honestly, I've, I can't disconnect ever. Like, I'm really envious of that. That, that you had that opportunity. But the irony is, I then knew nothing about it until I got back and discovered what had happened. And it was an article on the Pokestars blog written by Brad Willis. A great piece of writing, by the way, that you should check out. And Brad, by the way, is a ridiculous Twitter follow. Like, pound for pound, he's like a great Twitter follow because he he's a great writer, but the things he reposts are also excellent. So he wrote about the excitement, the number of people who are in the stands. They've got that ridiculous set for the feature table. Uh, the World Series of Poker, uh, the, the bleachers were full. And he just talked about how the life of that room, how the energy of the tournament disappeared when Daniel busted in 11th place. And that this incredible journey, which people were railing live and, of course, via the internet, had come to an end. Yeah, it's like when Hulk Hogan was eliminated from the Royal Rumble in 1998. I mean, just it just sucked the air out of the room. <laughs> I'm but, just going to keep going with that. But still, 11th out of six and a half thousand is still an amazing achievement so what's that word that you came up with which is kind of a, a combination of saying well done and unlucky congratulations congratulations that feels particularly appropriate here considering what happened in in the world series this summer so let's say the word to the man himself daniel negran who joins us live from las vegas nevada so we will say congratulations daniel Hello, gentlemen. I'd like to point out, I'm pretty sure Stapes didn't invent that word. I think it's been around longer than Stapes even knew. That one, actually, I mean, look, I can't, I joke around about the chip in a chair thing. Like, I definitely... It's a joke? We're just gonna, I'll let that go. I, however, the congratulations is, I can't find any record of someone saying it before me. This is something, I legitimately came up with this in like 2007. Now, granted, I'm sure maybe someone else did, but I never heard anyone else say it before me. This one I'm standing I, by. Okay, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Any Duke used it one time in like 2009 and like the whole internet jumped down her throat from stealing it from me. Yeah, okay. I'm like, if you want to be right, you get it to be right. You know? well, well, there's your choice, Daniel. Either Stapes created it or Annie Duke created it. So which version are you oh. going to go with? Definitely Stapes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, congratulations, Daniel, on what was an amazing run and a great result. But... I could see the pain on your face when you fell short of that final table. Well, it was, it was fun. I mean, just in the moment, you know, I, it was like, oh, no. You know, it was, it's actually a lot of drama. The, the energy was, like, palpitating, if you will. Um, and, like, they do this, the, the, the run out so slowly to create dramatic effect, and it really worked because the turn card was safe, and I'm like, okay, okay, I can hardly keep my emotions together. And then the river hit, and I was like, no! You know, and but I was actually fine just in that moment. It it all just culminated into that uh, reaction. Uh, and and when it was literally over, did it feel over? Like, did all of those, all that energy and emotion just completely wash away immediately? Well, what was really weird is that when the card came, I was like, okay, that's not good. But I heard Mike Madison and a few people really cheer. They went, yeah! And then I fell to the ground. I'm like, you idiots, that's not good for me. That's I was like, <laughs> It was like the classic thing where they thought you had won. Yeah. They totally thought that I won, so they were cheering, and then I, I was like, no, you dummies, you just gave me false hope. We've all so, done it, yeah, man. And that, in that moment, like, you're so desperate for it to not be over, you kind of believe it for a second, right? Like, maybe I missed something, maybe I didn't get it well, right. That's what I, yeah, when I fell down, I was, like, thinking, like, the queen makes it straight, right? Yeah, no, I lost. I, no, I definitely lost. 
I had to get up and look at it again to make sure. I just, I mean, I can't even imagine being on that sort of roller coaster ride of emotion. Let's talk about the emotion that you felt before that moment. I mean, I was sweating you super hard. I don't like to get involved, so I just sit there in silence. But Daniel, you had the whole world sweating you super hard. What does that feel like to have pretty much the whole world rooting for you? Well, while I was playing, I was really just in the moment. You know, I was, I was, I was obviously feeling the the energy from the people in the crowd, but outside of that, like Twitter and Facebook, I was off that, you know, I wasn't really on my phone. I was actually paying attention and felt really good. You know, I was, I was down to about three and a half, four million. And then I grinded my way back up to eight million without actually having to go all in or anything like that. So I felt really good about where things were going up, up until that last hand where, you know, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in a different territory chip wise. I have 16 big blinds and a lot of young kids would be like, oh, 16 big blinds. That's not a lot. I'm like, I feel like in the main event with two hour levels, 16 big blinds is plenty. Yeah, you always, you never really cease to surprise me how long you can survive with a short stack sometimes. I think a lot of people are looking for really marginal spots to get it in, and that's not really your style, is it? Well, it's interesting you say that, because I was actually thinking about this just last night. How how often in poker in the last 20 years since I've been playing, you know, people have figured out a certain strategy as being correct. You know, like... They've done the math on it. And then years later, finding out, you know what? Actually, their math was wrong. Uh, and one of those areas is certainly short stack play. And a lot of the young internet players have felt like they had it all figured out, how to play a 20 big blind stack or 15. And they thought they played a strategy which was like all in or fold. And they weren't calling it all, especially out of the blinds. And you know, a lot of the Germans who played the super high rollers have done some research on it and realized that that's actually incorrect. And the way that I've been doing it for many, many years is actually a lot more uh, especially for tournament play, not talking about cash games, but certainly a lot more, a, a lot better than the alternative. I think that's been the instinct of a lot of players, whether they be really skilled or not. Uh, and I think that they've been chastised for that. Like I remember just very often, it seems very logical to me. Like I get to see a flop for very cheap right now. Like I don't care that I have 15 big blinds. It's one big blind to call and see a flop. This doesn't make any sense to me. And now everyone's sort of come around to that. Well, they've learned. The high rollers have actually explained it to them. And essentially, when you look at it this way, if you have 18 big blinds and, you know, if you have like 18, 8, 10 offsuit in the big, or let's say you have 12 big blinds and you have 8, 10 offsuit in the big blind, someone min raises. Well, if you call and just fold the flop, you have 11 big blinds. How much does that affect your chance to win the tournament? Not very much. However, if you have a hand like 8, 10 offsuit, right, and then you flop a 10 or an 8, you're not going to be exploited on streets, turn, and river. Right. Which is one of the dangers of playing marginal hands out of position is that, you know, you can't fade calling a flop bet turn bet river bet. But if you have 8-10 and you flop a pair, okay, let's go. You know, you can get it in. But you don't have to look at those situations as all in or fold. And that's a mistake that still is prevalent amongst a lot of, um, you know, mid or lower stakes and low limit players. So you, you kind of you kind of dodged the question at first, though. And I said, how did it feel to have the whole world rooting for you? You sort of act like you, you didn't know that that was happening but you had to feel it there, right? I mean, I can't imagine there being a bigger rail and a bigger online rail, just a bigger energy. The energy in the room must have been ridiculous. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, one of the things I definitely felt is, you know, especially from even the production crew and everybody, how important it was for them and, you know, the people in poker that I made the November 9 specifically. And so, the, you know, thoughts in my head are, you know, there's those people that want this for me, which is to make the November 9. But that's not how I play. That's not how I approach things. So I'm going to play, I'm going to do what I do, which is go for the win. Because if I chose a different strategy, I certainly could have squeaked into the November 9. But that's just not what I was, my, my goal was win, not just make the last nine. 
That's a, that's very interesting, and I don't know that a lot of people, uh, you know, would have done that. I think that maybe no one else would do that. And do you think that you're more capable? Do you think you make that decision uh, based on the fact that you're you, or that you're also in the position to make that decision? You know, you're not like a guy who won his way from a home game. Um, you know, you're a guy that's gonna be fine no matter what. You're gonna be a successful poker player no matter what. When I even way back when in the late '90s when I started playing, my focus was on winning. And, and I remember early on in my career, I was finishing 12th and 13th a lot in spots where other people probably would have made the final table, but I was going for it. I wanted to get in there with some chips so that I could dance. And my record, when I, the first eight final tables I made way back then, I, I won all eight. That was eight. No, I had a very, I was much more like a Vanessa Selps type stack. Having said that, like I, the whole idea of ICM and moving up the prize pool ladder is something that I've, that's, that was not a part of my pro- thought process, even when I had no money. And I know that from a financial perspective, if that's your goal, that you should be taking those things into consideration. Were, were you aware of it even at the time? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm always aware of it in terms of how it affects other people's play. And when we were down to 12, 11 players, the jumps were very big. It was $200,000 jumps, right? So I knew, for example, that when a short stack uh, raised under the gun you know, at the table that I was at and I was in the big blind, that I have to really limit his range a lot. Like right. He's going to have a much stronger hand than he would in a normal situation because I know that they are thinking about you know the pay jumps. Well, Daniel, I, what I wanted to move on to next is that you're not just playing poker. Too, you mentioned this is that you know there are a lot of people, for lack of a better word, who are kind of counting on you. People who really want you to do well, you know, both because they like you, but also because it's good for poker and it's good for them and it brings in ratings and everyone can can make more money in their jobs and there's more TV and stuff like that. And you are. We can get you for this interview because we're pals with you and because, you know, we all fly the same flag, but you do plenty of other interviews for other people. And I just want to know when you're in such a high pressure situation and you're being so accessible, you are, you don't really say no to interviews. You sign autographs on breaks. There are a lot of people in the world who, who are, you treat everyone like they're your friends. So I'm sure lots of people are texting you and tweeting at you and you do tend to answer those people. Is it ever exhausting? Do you ever wish that you were less accessible? I don't ever wish that. No, because I'm, I'm, I'm like, I've been doing this a long time, so I know how to balance it. Like if it's too much often, I actually on breaks, as you mentioned, <clears throat> breaks, I run and hide to my trailer. And if I'm going to do autographs and stuff, it'll be, you know, when somebody's tanking for a few minutes, I'll go to the crowd and I'll do it then. Um, and as far as interviews, while I'm in the main event or while I'm in the world series, I make sure to structure it so that it doesn't interfere with, you know, the amount of rest that I need. Like often the breaks are 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes I'll say, you know, can I get a four or five minutes with you this, this break? And I'm like, no, I need to go eat. Maybe we can do the next break or the early part of the dinner break. So I just, I adjust, but I don't, uh, I actually, I found a good balance with it. It's, it's not a struggle for me. Okay. And that, you don't think that that sort of, that doesn't stress you out even having to find that balance? No, because I'm good at it now. You know, I think in the first, there was a time probably in my career where I was realizing, okay, all this other stuff is affecting my ability to succeed. So I need to find a way to incorporate both so that I can still be successful at poker and still contribute, you know, in other ways. Well, you pull it off very well. Uh, you know, and speaking of your accessibility and just how much stuff there is about you out there, I'm sure you're well aware of the fact that the production team here has been working on a documentary based on you for a year now. It's finally finished. This thing yeah. has been in post-production for months. And Daniel, there is a 90-minute edit of this film. I've seen about two-thirds of it. And it is like a motion picture. The production standards are incredible. And I think you're going to be thrilled with it. Well, I watched the trailer and I was kind of blown away. I'm like, wow. I'm like, they make my life seem way more interesting than I think it is. 
<laughs> it was pretty damn good. Well, I think so most I think most people would find your life pretty interesting. You know, I guess it's when you're in the eye of the storm, it's easy to to not see it from that outside perspective. I think that if you were blown away by the trailer, I I think it's going to be in a very I really hope that I can be in the same room with you when you're watching it for the first time because I think that the real thing will blow you away. The people here, many people have gotten pretty emotional watching it just uh, in the rough cuts. So, uh to see, you know, I it would be really magical to be able to experience that with you. Are you excited for it? I am. I mean, it's been in the works for like as you said a long time. It's interesting how it evolved and you know, Francine Watson who, you know, has been really working hard on this. She, you know, she explained to me that originally the whole idea behind this was like they were going to make like one of those little poker star short films, those 10, 11 film, 10, 11 minute films that, um, you know, just sort of cover the player and what they do. And then she, she said she had so much good stuff and she didn't want she wanted to make sure that it was really, really great. So it ended up being an extra year, essentially, of, of shooting that um, has all come together into this. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, wow, this is this is this is fantastic. I'm excited to get the reaction from people who aren't necessarily poker fans yeah. who may not know Daniel and may not know anything about the game because you may not think your life is interesting, Daniel, but trust me, this documentary tells a really interesting life story and I think it's going to be engaging to a lot of people. Yeah, no, I get how my life is interesting in a lot of ways. I just, I, I, what I was referring to mostly is just my daily routine, you know, <laughs> what I do. It's like, you know, wake up at uh, 10.42 a.m., go to the gym at noon, hang out with the dog, play Hearthstone, <laughs> you know, watch TV. I mean, it might be sort of seeming not that interesting to you, but it, it's even if it's not interesting, that's a dream life for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of that is if people had the luxury of being able to do that, I think there wouldn't be many people that would turn down that no. daily schedule. Now you it do is exactly my dream life. I mean, I'm playing soccer as well. No, this is exactly the dream life I envisioned when I was 17 or 18. It's just a lot different, I think, than a lot of people you know, when they watch these shows on TV, like the Kardashians and stuff, and they're, you know, they're socialites, and they're doing all these parties and this and that. And I'm like, I'm happy to be home with my dog, you know, just being healthy, going to the gym, and, uh, you know, just really being like a chill, relaxed human being. Well, speaking of parties, you had a birthday this week, right, buddy? I did, yeah. You turned 41 this year. Wow. <laughs> and, I'm James and I, James and I are going to be hosting your uh, your officially PokerStars sanctioned birthday party this weekend in Toronto. I remember when we first broke the news to Daniel that we were coming to this party in Toronto and this disappointed look came over your face and you went, I told them to get proper celebrities. Oh. I felt that, yeah. I was like, they're not real celebrities. <laughs> Agreed. Is but no, but here's the thing: we're working the party, so my guess is there may be a few legit celebrities that show up as guests. Like, are we expecting anyone from like the Leafs or the or yeah. the Blue Jays to show up? Well, we got Phil Kessel, who is no longer a Leaf. He's right. been moved to Pittsburgh Penguins, so he's gonna, you know. But he's a good buddy of mine, so he'll be there. And then we got, of course, I think Bob McCowan, who's a very um, famous uh, radio uh, host all over the country and uh, a few others as well so it'll be fun we're doing like sort of a charity event where we're gonna everyone's gonna play for charity and then there's just i guess gonna, it it became a birthday party after i watched your video i'm like it's a birthday party now i'm like oh okay <laughs> i i thought it was a birthday party after i watched your video i saw your video where they they probably made you shoot it months ago and they weren't sure it was going to happen and then all of a sudden one day it was like oh yeah i'm having a party now well, I knew I was having, I knew we were doing the party as a promotion. I just I was always under the impression it was a summer bash. And then I watched that funny little video you did about Canadians. 
You know, and, and I, I was like, hey, yeah. I hey, never, I never knew they were going to put that out as a video. That was only supposed to be a gag on this podcast. And then all of a sudden they're like, we want to turn it into a video. I was like, oh man, if I'd known that, I would have done a much better job on it. <laughs> now, now, Daniel, I have to warn you because obviously you are one of the players in the One Table Charity Tournament. Um, I have been recruited to be the TD for this event. I do have a bit of a reputation from my home game from 10 years ago and earn the nickname Jimmy the Bastard for enforcing rules willy-nilly. You don't like the TDA? You're going to hate me. Listen, if you burn somebody's <laughs> hand for first card off the deck, I am personally going to punch you in the face. <laughs> I will break your nose. You'll have no teeth left. I'll go buck wild on you. I'm not afraid. I've been working out. Don't worry. Jimmy the Bastard will be left at home. You'll have uh, friendly, cordial James Hartigan in Toronto. Daniel, speaking of, speaking of working out, you post videos online sometimes of you like working out pretty hard and people must say some really awful things to you. Does it ever get to you? It's funny. You know who gets the most annoyed is my trainer because my trainer, like she reads some of these comments that people post on Instagram and she's like, this, this, like, because people will post things as though that's my whole workout. You know what I mean? Like we don't do anything but that one thing. Right. And everyone's an expert. Right. And they think that like that she doesn't know what she's doing and stuff like that. And they don't see like that. And of course, some people call me skinny fat. I'm like, man, when I finally post the before and afters, which I plan to do at some point, people will understand the progress I've made in terms of my physical strength and, 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 and even my body fat percentage. I just give you a lot of credit. You're just always putting it out there. Like when is the last time someone said something to you online that like legitimately irritated you? legitimately irritated me it rarely happens because i mostly find the stuff funny i think the only time i get irritated is if there's like blatant lies about things i've said or done or okay fair enough from people that i may know and then they put it out there and then start people start thinking like oh that's true and i'm like actually that's completely not true Okay, that's fair enough. Lies would pretty much upset me too. Right, like opinions, I don't care. You know, people say whatever they want to say. It's well, whatever. somebody said something today on Twitter, actually, and I was planning on, have. I always do a game with the guests, and I was planning on doing a game with you where like sort of revolved around the number 11, but then this guy on Twitter today said, can I come to your party? I promise not to drink any more than 11th beers. And I actually was like, that's mean. I don't like that. That's like not very cool. And now, and then I was upset and I was like, and I was going to do the same thing. So I don't want to do that now. It's also not very clever and not particularly funny. Yeah. So I was like, man, am I just as like stupid and trolly as the rest of these people? I'm not going to do that. But like, I was like that Daniel's a person like, just cause he's like fun and seems to take it. Well, I, I, I just didn't feel right about like taking pleasure in what could be pain for you. So I was wondering if you, if you felt the same way. Well, when I heard that tweet, you just mentioned, yeah. first of all, and in the, in the moment, I didn't really understand it. Then I, <laughs> As I it, said, it doesn't work. Well, then I got it. And then I was like, oh, but none of it made me laugh. Or <laughs> exactly. Me just like, you're be- that was- it wasn't clever. It's just It was just pretty lame. Exactly. So I came up with a different game for you to play, Daniel. Are you down? Are you I down to that. play a game? Joe's come up with another way to humiliate you. No, it's not humiliating. I don't think it'd be humiliating at all. Not at all. Let's do it. Let's play a game. All right. This game is called, Are You Sure That's Your Favorite Movie? Now, Daniel... Every year before the World Series of Poker, it's it's no it's no secret that you rewatch at least most of the Rocky movies, right? Correct. Every so year. I've come up with ten trivia questions about the movie Rocky to see if you've actually been paying attention. How many times do you think you've seen the movie Rocky at this point? Uh, well, there are different Rockies, so I think I've seen Rocky three the most. What about the original 1976 movie Rocky? I've seen that a bunch. 
Okay. okay. Well, that's what all these questions are based on. Are you ready? They're all based on Rocky One? All based on Rocky One. Oh, boy. Okay. Question number one. When Rocky is jogging through the fruit market, what kind of fruit does the market keeper toss to him? I believe, I believe it's an apple. Apple is incorrect. It's an orange. Okay. So, so <laughs> I didn't watch this one this year. Oh, you didn't it. watch Rocky 1 this year. Oh, this is going to be tough for you. Here we go. Question two. When Gazzo is talking to Rocky about not breaking the dock worker's thumbs, what medical condition is he affected by? What medical condition is... So say that again. So Gazzo's talking to Rocky, and he's telling him not to break the dock worker's thumbs, and something happens to him in the scene. He's afflicted by something medically. Who is? Gazzo. He has to take medicine in the middle of the scene. He's got asthma? Correct! Asthma is correct! You're one and one, Daniel. And right. uh, he actually had an asthma attack in the scene, and they left it in. That was uh, improvised. Cool story, bro. Number three, Rocky explains the meaning of this term to Adrian, which is slang for someone who's left-handed. Uh, Southpaw. Correct! Two and one. Finish this line by the character Marie. Screw you. Creepo. Correct. Three and one. He stumbled out of the gate, but he is doing well now. Daniel, name one of Rocky's turtles. Link. Correct. I thought he would get the other one. The name. Yeah, yeah, I got it. He got them both. <laughs> yes, got them both. Let's fire the music back up because he's doing well. Keep it going. Daniel, what is Adrian's maiden name? Oh, no. I don't think he's going to get there on this one. I don't know that one. Panino. Panino. Never heard name. When do they ever say her name? I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you the, 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 the exact scene. I'm looking for that one. I'll tell you what. Hey, Daniel, look, if you want to be right, be right. <laughs> Got him. Okay. Uh, question number seven. What is the name of the tropical fish store? I don't know. Doesn't know that one is J and M. Oh, four and three. I think you might hole out here, though. Okay. Three more questions. What is the name of the dog Rocky pretended to want to see when he really wanted to see Adrian? Oh, my God. Hang on a minute. I know this. I obviously know this. Oh, my God. Hold oh no. What the hell? Hang on. Danny Negrano doesn't feel pressure when he has 11 big blinds in the no, biggest no. poker tournament in the world, but right now he is really sweating it. I can't remember the damn name. I know the name, but I can't remember it. Come on. The name is Buttkiss. Buttkiss, duh. Like I Dick Buttkiss. Second to last question. Here we go. Where did the very first fight in the movie take place? The very first fight in the movie took place in a dinky little ring against spider uh in in philadelphia yes but what type of building was the dinky little ring in it was like a church correct yes <laughs> okay worst you can do is go five and five well the thing is what is he now five and four yes he's gonna end up a winner because the last question is a joke daniel when rocky's running up the stairs how many stairs are there <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. he's gonna count them in his head <laughs> 
248. I don't know the answer to that. I was just messing with you, buddy. Congratulations. <laughs> I do think that Rocky is amongst your favorite movies. Do you think there's a movie out there that you would know more about than the Rocky series? Um, not that I can think of. It's probably the one I've seen most consistently, you know, from my childhood and still to this day. There's other movies when I was younger I knew more about, but they also involved Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> what was it like, Cobra and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? First Blood, Rambo. I oh. watched First Blood every day. I used to watch that movie. It's over, Johnny. It's over. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, one last question, Dan, before I cut you loose. Uh, it is your birthday this weekend, and I'm asking you both personally, but also because I'm curious. What do you want for your birthday? Like, what do you get someone that has or could have literally anything he wants? It's funny you ask that because I have a, I have basically like a no gift policy. Yeah. I don't, I don't like allow people to get me gifts, but this year, and this is, this is exactly why my birthday was a few days ago. And, uh, so Patty got me this oil, uh, I shouldn't, well, whatever. She got me this oil painting of Mushu. (laughs) That's a Daniel's dog, by the way, if you guys don't know that. But it, it was like, he looked really sad. Like he was about to be beaten and afraid. And I was like, I can't look at this. It was really (laughs) I mean, and I felt bad, right? Because it was like the thought that counts, and I really appreciate the thought. Just, I just couldn't have that in my house because it, it made me sad, not happy. And then Joel, who's great, he came over, and I guess he forgot I don't do gluten or something, even though he cooks for me. And he brought me like a, a pizza, a vegan pizza, and a vegan cake, but it had gluten in it. So I, <laughs> I couldn't eat both, right? And I was like, geez. So you took the cake and the pizza and fired it at the painting and threw them both in the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> something like that no it just makes me feel bad when people get me stuff and it's stuff i don't want or need and then like they feel bad because i know it's the thought that counts but yeah I, I, yeah no it's a tough spot i go through the same thing with my parents at christmas time where they're like let us get you some clothes and i'm like please don't get me clothes because like i probably don't want whatever it is and then they oh, spend yeah. like a decent amount of money and i'm like i really i'll never wear this please take it back yeah my brother and his wife used to do it every year they get me a bunch of clothes and i'm like dude you guys gotta stop seriously <laughs> Like, please don't, please don't. Because I have a closet full of clothes and I know what I like and I know what I want. And if and if I wanted it, I'd probably already have it. Yeah, unless it's purple crushed velvet, Daniel doesn't want your clothes. <laughs> That's it, yeah. All right, Daniel, well, happy birthday. I'm going to try to track down something small to get you anyway. I know you have a no-gift policy, but i just like to to, to say uh, say a little, hey, we appreciate you being around to my friends on their birthday. So uh, I will avoid gluten clothing and sad animals <laughs> in my gift. <laughs> Uh, Daniel, thanks a lot for being with us, and uh, we'll see you Saturday. All right, guys. See you soon. See you in Toronto. I guess um, I guess we could probably also dedicate today's show to Daniel's 11th place finish. And, and the fact that he's turned 41 and has therefore probably entered the second half of his existence. Oh, yeah. I don't think so. I think Daniel's going to be one of those guys <laughs> that lives to be like 120. Still still talking about the benefits of being a vegan and sleeping upside down and whatever weird shit he's doing by the time he's in his 80s. As, the- as inappropriate as this music is, uh, to accompany this sentiment, I'm really looking forward to our trip to Toronto. Yes. Um, well, here, we got that. Toronto coming up. Yeah, um, it's going to be a good time. I, uh, I'm a little nervous about it because I haven't written any jokes yet. Like, I like to have, like, a few jokes in my pocket, literally. Yeah, you'll be fine. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about that on next week's show. I think that will yeah. form the, the, the event recap of next week's edition of EPT Not Live about Daniel's VIP club party 
in Toronto, which Joe and I are going to this weekend. And there's a bunch of fans coming too, like a bunch of people won yep. their way in. I think Glenn Weber eventually made it in. Yes, who has appeared on this show in the Superfan vs. Tape segment. Glenn's going to be there. Um, plenty of Canadian fans who've basically told us on Twitter that they're looking forward to meeting Daniel and to a certain degree us as well. <laughs> One more sad piece of news that I wanted to cover real quick that I missed in poker news is that uh, is Bluff Magazine. Bluff Magazine went from uh, from being a print publication to uh, to electronic publication, and when that happened earlier this year, I feel bad about it now. But I wrote an article for them about how it felt like a step backwards, and uh, now uh, they're gone. Yeah, That's I, it. this it's is another over. thing I discovered. I came back. The two pieces of news that greeted me on my return to the UK were Daniel Negreanu's deep run in the World Series and the demise of Bluff Media. And from what I can understand, they just called all the editorial staff into a room and told them goodbye. Yeah, they're like, we're done. We're not doing anything else. Um, you know, you're done in three weeks. And unfortunately, the way the news got put out, I think what Lance said is that like a former owner of the company decided to spill the beans uh, before they had a chance to do it officially. So it was just like a weird thing where I was seeing people on Twitter being like, oh, RIP bluff uh, before I saw anything official. Like their last post had been like something about Daniel going out in 11th, like their right. last Twitter post. And I was like, ah, uh, that can't be good. So just, you know, one more time, if we can, for... Uh, you know, we've got Calvin, we've got Daniel finishing at 11th. This show is dedicated to a lot of people right now. The staff of Bluff Media, <laughs> Daniel Negreanu, I'm sorry, you like won half a million dollars. Okay, I don't fine. think he deserves we'll, we'll Daniel out of his coming. But Calvin, you're still up there, buddy. Calvin's Calvin still gets top billing on the dedication list for the show. And uh, yeah, to, to the folks over at Bluff Magazine, although I'm playing this music to take the piss a little bit, I really feel for you guys, Lance and Tim and uh, Kev Math and Paul, all really good guys who've done a lot for me. Uh, so we appreciate you guys being around. I hope you guys all get scooped up very, very quickly. No. <laughs> James does not like it. His radio sensibilities will not allow those two songs to be played concurrently. It's what's known in the industry as a segue, and that was a fucking awful segue. Guess what? We're not in the radio industry. We're in the podcast industry, and anything goes. Anywho, we're going into the lobby because... And this is one of the reasons why we're back with EPT Not Live. The new season of the European Poker Tour is imminent. It's less than a month away that the Barcelona Festival starts with the Estrella's main event, the EPT main event. Satellites are plenty. And if you want to be in Barcelona and play that main event, this coming Sunday, which is the 2nd of August, there are plenty of options. There are freeze-outs, there are rebuys. There is, starting at 5 past 1 Eastern, a 530 euro satellite with 10 packages guaranteed. And as ever, there are satellites into the satellite, you could qualify for as little as four euros and 40 cents. Also want to flag up the next stop of the UK and Ireland poker tour because it's going back to Bristol for the first time in two years. This festival running from the 6th to the 9th of August. This just around the corner. And I had an email from Jake Cody this morning. Actually, it wasn't, but his signature was, was at the bottom of, of it. Sign yeah, ones. yeah. Apparently, I could win a seat in UK IPT Bristol for £1.10p. So if you're in the United Kingdom, uh, the main event in Bristol is a £770 freeze-out. There's also the Bristol Cup, which is only £330 oh, to cool. play. Uh, and if you want a satellite in, qualifiers running right now on PokerStars for as little as £1.10p. TV Recap. 
TV is back! Yeah, talking to people in the UK, if you're watching Channel 4, we're back on Tuesday night. For the rest of the world, the Pokestars YouTube channel, new shows every Wednesday. This week, the first show of the 2015 PCA, the final table of the $100,000 buy-in, Super High Roller. Yeah, so uh, basically now, James, TV has caught up with when we started doing the podcast in the first place, I believe. Yeah, because our very first show, which was, I think, at the beginning of March, we talked about our trip to the PC. Right. And now people can actually see the shows that we were making at the PCA, which we talked about being at back in March. Correct. And one of those things we talked about was how I am a complete fuck up and I didn't bring any of the right clothes to the PCA. So in that link and in the show that's come out on, on television, YouTube this week, you can see that I'm wearing an ill-fitting jacket, which is mine. Pants that don't really match, which are mine, and shoes that don't really match, which are John's. John is producing the show today, John Zinka. So um, I look sort of weird in the link, and I feel terrible about it. Also, Joe, my hair Joe, is terrible. Joe, yeah, I don't, I don't mean any offense, but you normally look a little bit weird. I in the think, I think though, once we get to the next batch of shows where I'm dressed properly, I will look less weird than ever before. Yes, because if finally they'll be able to see you in your brand new suit, right? which you took to the dry cleaners, so we didn't see it much in London, and you failed to bring to the Caribbean, so we didn't see it in the PCA. Did I? I think I wore it in London, didn't I? Or no? Did you I did, yeah, it was the first show, remember? The, I screwed up the first yes. one. I, it's, it sounds like something I would do. So there's that's the first thing that struck me as I watched this show. The other thing is that it, the, the opening link is, the, remember it's that outdoor link that was a freaking nightmare to shoot? The one that was like in the main... I want to call it the foyer, but it was outdoors. Like just that huge. Sort Anytime of... you're shooting out in public, uh, and 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 people, people can be idiots, and it, you just never. You, you think you've got it, and it's like no. At that point, like some guy in a baseball cap walked right between you and gawped right at the camera. It's just just not going to work. Well, guess what? We didn't get it. We didn't get it. Here, if I'm just going to play a clip, a clip from uh, the link that aired last Welcome night. Welcome to the Bahamas and the PCA the first major poker festival of 2015, with 35 events over nine days. Hear that? You hear that? That little girl screaming at the end? With Listen. 35 events. Oh, yeah. With 35 events. There's a scream in it. And we. how many times did we shoot that? I dread to think. It's definitely double figures. And it was, I mean, it was, it was, we could not, I mean, that's probably, I'm sure that's the best one, but there were so many bad things that happened during that. And the problem is, as it gets later and later... More and more people are coming in. So if you don't get it in the beginning, you're really, really fucked. It was a difficult day that day. However, the Super High Roller final table was pretty awesome. We had a great cast of characters there. Um, Andrew Robo was there, who we don't see very much on the tour, which is pretty cool. High stakes cash game player, Sam Greenwood, regular Steve O'Dwyer, who I accidentally in the uh, player intros introduced as American I mean, no, no disrespect to any of these guys because they're all great players. Uh, but, you know, Steve, Sam, uh, Christoph Vogelsang, Sorel Mitzi, they're all regulars on the EPT. Yeah. We've had them on feature tables. We've had them on final tables. I like new. I like it when we get to meet someone new in one of these events. Sure. Particularly in this format where it is generally the same players event to event. And that's why I really enjoyed having Roger Sipple at this final table. He was an unknown quantity, not a professional poker player. He's a businessman. Um, and I just thought... What a nice guy. Well, it's weird because obviously he's a wealthy man, right? I don't know what he's worth. A lot. 
you know, but he's obviously a wealthy man, but he managed to be a wealthy man yet feel like an everyday Joe kind of guy at the same time, which, which is what I really liked about him. Like he was sort of the, the huckleberry at the table, if you will. Um, but he obviously could afford to play in a hundred K event. Um, and he's just real people, you know, and I, 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 there's a lot of times, like, I think that day when we were broadcasting, maybe it was a different super high roller. I was like, if you want to watch a bunch of millionaires try to win more millions, tune in today's broadcast. But this guy, even though he's already wealthy, I wanted him to win. Like, you could tell he just really cared. He was really happy and just, I think we watch, we, we want to play poker, right? We watch and we want to play poker for the characters, right? For like the the big stars. But also yes. I think it's, for me, it's like a 50-50 split because I also want to see regular people go in and like get a little bit lucky maybe and take down the best. I mean, this the show had like, obviously Rod, the rooting for Roger Factor was huge for me. But the other thing I really liked about this was watching Steve O'Dwyer, particularly during two key hands where he had really big decisions. The One, final hand is amazing. Wow, there's that hand earlier on where he heroes and is wrong. Yeah. And then there's that final hand where he is right. And it's always more interesting to me to have a final hand of a tournament where there's a big decision on the river and someone makes a great call and that's it. Rather than it goes in pre-flop and we're off to the races, five cards get dealt. I mean, even, even you know, aces versus kings isn't as exciting as the situation you just described. Like the race is like whatever. And it's not whatever. It's always exciting, right? There's something happening. Of course, happening, but, but this, is, this was different. Yeah. And this really felt like this is how you win a, a hand played down to the river. It was if it's in when it's in a movie, right? When there's when you're scripting a movie, it's never like get it all in pre-flop and watch them deal out five cards. It's a decision. There's like a big decision on a five streets. I mean, of just poker. just look at Casino Royale. James Bond had to decide how long he was going to wait before showing his cards exactly. and slow rolling people. Exactly, and that is of course the best example of poker in a movie of all time, and that's what we compare everything to. Uh, so yeah, that was awesome. Um, I do have one little one little clip here of Roger Sipple that I wanted to play. So I think it'll get you like sort of uh, a feel for why we like the guy so much. But also I have a question I want to pose afterward. I'd love to have the title. Mostly I'm trying to convince the world, but mostly myself, that I'm a world-class athlete. I mean, poker. It's a sport. So if I win a super high roller against all these top world-class pros from all around the world, I'm obviously a world-class athlete. And at 59, I think it's my last shot. I'm not going to do it in figure skating or uh, ski jumping or anything like that. So I got to do it. First of all, I can't tell if he's being serious or not. I can't believe that anyone would consider themselves to be a world-class athlete so for winning a So you think it's tongue-in-cheek when he yes, says that? Yes, I think there is heavy irony in, in Mr. Sipple's tone. To be honest, I didn't sense the irony until right now. Like when I watched it, I didn't, I didn't, th I didn't he, think this guy is, this guy is smart. And I can hear there that he's kind of, he's taken the Michael slightly. Okay, good. Well, I like him even more now Then I like him even more. If he's like kind of trolling the interview process while he's doing <laughs> that. So afterwards and the show, I make some kind of joke about sportifying poker. And if you guys are poker fans, which most of you are, let's be honest, if you're listening to this show. You're all well aware of the sportify poker thing that some people in the industry are trying to do. So what I want to do is between this week and next week, 
Tell us how you would sportify poker. And you can make it serious if you want to, or you can make it funny. I'm going to come up with a list of things that I would do to sportify poker. Next week, hashtag MEPT Live. Next week, we'll talk about it. I'll read some of your best responses on the air, or, you know, as it were, maybe the only responses that we get, all three of them. I will read them on the air, but I'm going to come up with a list myself. And next week on the show, which I think we're going to attempt to do remotely. Yes. So next week. We leave Toronto on Monday. I fly back to London. Joe is flying back to his new home in New Jersey. And via the miracles of modern technology, Giles is feeling the pressure right now. We are going to link up and and do the show from New Jersey and London. Correct. We are going to be bi-coastal curious in next week's show. We're going to give that our best shot. Uh, speaking of Roger Sipple, he is also the subject of this week's Too Hot for TV too hot for TV. for TV. What didn't make the edit, Joe? Well, we did a good job of talking about how great we think Roger Sipple is, so I think we've earned a little bit of credit to sort of, let's say, take the piss out of him. <laughs> Unfortunate use of bit. words. Unfortunate use of words. Yeah, there was a there was a couple of shots, and I think some people on the broad, on the live stream noticed this. Yeah, obviously when the players come to the, the, the final table, Joe's normally on the main stage introducing them. They take their seats. That whole section, mainly for timing reasons, didn't make it into the TV show. Anyone who watched the live stream or watched the replay of the live stream will be aware of what I'm talking about. Um, there was also an awkward moment where Sorel Mitzi thought it would be hilarious to give you an apple core. Uh, you accidentally introduced Steve O'Dwyer as American. And then there was a third thing that happened. I don't that, even remember the apple core at all. And then there was a third thing. It was just like, this section ain't going to work. Unfortunately, while Roger was standing, waiting in the wings to take his seat at the table, everyone kind of noticed that he had like a damp patch <laughs> front and center. Sipple had some dripple. Now I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. We've all been there where the sink, you turn the tap on splash back or you lean against the counter and the counter's wet and it looks like you've had an accident. No, 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 no. Look, even without having an accident, we've all been there where sometimes, you know, sometimes you let go of the fire hose and it just goes spraying all over the place. Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> The urinal has a bad, like, I don't want to call it bad acoustics. It's got, like, a bad angle, and you hit it the wrong way, and it just goes flying everywhere. Hey, Some, everyone, you can tell EPC Not Live is back because we're talking toilets again. I mean, this is the exact reason why I don't wear khaki colors, because water shows up so easily. And, like, look, not literally, figuratively, shit happens. Like, you get a little splash sometimes. But we did feel like it would be, like, a little unkind to show that, because it was very obvious. There was a pretty distinct wet patch so roger sipple's dripple as you're so eloquently putting it did not make the show it was considered too hot for tv by the way uh, just to be clear the hashtag for this show is ept not live you'll be using ept live once again when we're in Barcelona with our five days of coverage from the main event but in terms of sportifying poker joe we want people to use ept not live on twitter right let's give away a prize shall we Let's do it. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. And today we are going north of the border. We're going north of Hadrian's Wall and saying hello to Krishnan at ScottishBLK on Twitter. Hello, sir. Hey, hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, wow, he really is Scottish, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, I believe it. He's like chowing down on a king rib as we speak. <laughs> 
Now, Christian, I mentioned your Twitter handle because you are a prolific tweeter. We get numerous messages from you during our live streams, all of which are appreciated, by the way. I appreciate you guys as well. You make the, the EPT so much fun to watch. You are definitely in the Morecambe and Wise of the poker commentating world. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I guess I, I, what I'd like to know is being Scottish isn't a profession, right? It's just a... It's still just a, it's a, a nationality. nationality. Yes. So what what do you do, Krishnan? Uh, at the present moment, I'm working for Amazon. Working for Amazon. What do you do for Amazon? Uh, all all the parcels at the end of the day usually come back. We've usually got to scan them back into the warehouse. So you work on returns for Amazon. Yeah. That's cool. What is the weirdest thing that you've ever seen come back or the weirdest situation you've encountered in, in returns for Amazon? Uh, oh, there's so many to choose from. Oh, uh, there has been uh, somebody that's end, end up bringing back KY Jelly, believe it or not. <laughs> Excellent. Like Return first- from Mr. J. Stapleton, by any chance. Uh, by the way, I bought this KY jelly and it still didn't make her into me. I'm sending it back. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, when, how did you discover the EPT, by the way? I think you're a relatively new super fan within the last sort of 12, 18 months. Uh, I, I found it on uh, uh, through the PokerStars uh, YouTube channel as well as uh, on, on the PokerStars site. So you, uh, so you're just like a recreational player who just saw a link one time and decided to click on it. Yeah, that's myself. Well, you, you know what we like to do here, Krishna. We like to take poker fans, recreational players, and try and put them on that first step of the way towards playing an EPT because there is a step C ticket up for grabs, a chance for you to potentially satellite into a European poker tour main event. Now we're mixing things up a little bit with the Superfan versus Tapes competition. I'm not going to lie to you. I got a little bit bored with EPT trivia. What? And so I thought what would be good is if we find out from the super fans what else they're interested in outside of poker. And Christian, you told us that you're a sci-fi fan. You're a Star Trek fan. So I've got in front of me, inside the patented sealed envelope, eight questions related to Star Trek. Plus, there are some bonus questions which may not be related to Star Trek, which will be worth more points. So basically, wait, 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 wait. The ones that aren't related to Star Trek, what are they related to? Well, they're, they're inspired by the original question. Just just go with it, Joe. Okay, just go right, with the flow. With it. Fine. It's a voyage of discovery to kind of use some Star Trek terminology. I might know more about Star Trek than I know about the EPT. Oh, wow. So this Sadly. could be a challenge, Krishnan. Let's see uh, who's the biggest Star Trek geek here. Um, just so you're clear, the main question will be worth one point. The bonus question will be worth two points. But you only get to answer the bonus question if you get the main question oh, correct. Oh wow, we're getting deep. We're getting deep into the game theory but here. Just, 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 just follow my instructions, and everything will be fine. Um, Christian, as you are the super fan, as you are the guest, as you've very graciously given us your time today, uh, I'd like you to say odd or even. Uh, even. Okay, that means Joe, you get to go first. Uh, fire up the theme. Superfan versus Stapes. Question one, Joe Stapleton. On the Starship Enterprise, what does NCC stand for? 
Boy, I, apparently I don't know that much about Star Trek, do I? That seems like it should be a pretty easy question. NCC. It's the year. It's the year uh, in which the ship was commissioned. Joe Stapleton proving he has no knowledge of Roman numerals. Krishnan, you can steal. What does NCC oh. stand for on the Enterprise? I forgot myself. The answer uh. is... Naval construction contract. All right, well, we are all tied up. At zero, zero. So now yeah, let's not focus on that. Question two. Christian, this is your question. Who captained the Enterprise directly before James T. Kirk? Um, Captain Pike, was it? It was. That is correct. Christian. I believe it was Captain Pike, though, not Captain Poke, as Christian <laughs> just said. And here's your bonus question for another two points, Krishnan. Who played Pike in the original Star Trek pilot episode, The Cage? Oh. Nah, I think I'm going to get beaten in this one. Well, I can't steal the bonus question, You can't can steal the bonus question, no. Uh, the answer, by the way, was Jeffrey Hunter. Joe Stapleton, who directed Star Trek The Motion Picture? Uh, Leonard Nimoy. Christian, you can steal. Uh, not 100% sure myself. Take a punt. No, I'm, uh, you don't know, guess. I mean, you technically have a better chance of guessing, like, you know, Will. I'll give you a clue. It's not Leonard Nimoy. It would be William Shatner. Ah. No, the answer was actually Robert Wise. And once again, we are all tied up here on Supervan versus Stapes. It is a barn burner. Um, it's not tied, actually. Christian's 1-0 up. Ah, shit. Uh, and now Christian has his second question. Question four of the quiz. Who played Captain Decker in Star Trek, the motion picture? Oh. Can we go back to EPT trivia? I thought these questions were relatively easy. I just got them off IMDb. I don't even know that much about Star Trek. Star Trek, Trek the motion picture sucked dick. I, I, I loved watching it, but <laughs> I think you've caught me on, off guard with these ones. Uh, I honestly don't know. Joseph, can you steal? No. The answer was Stephen Collins. Question five. Joe, this is your question and you are behind right now. Which member of the Enterprise crew is assigned to the USS Reliant in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? Who is assigned to the Reliant in The Wrath of Khan? Um, Savick. Incorrect. Christian, you can steal. Oh, it's on it's the tip of my tongue. I know this one. And you, I'm going to kick myself when you say the answer. He's, oh. normally, he's normally on the Enterprise. Dude, in this if, movie, he's on the Reliant. If this is... This could be the most ironic answer ever. If uh, I, know, I know it's the... the oh, I, I keep going to say Tchaikovsky for some strange reason. Chekhov. Yes, Chekhov. correct. It was Chekhov. And that means you get to answer the bonus question. I, if the answer was Scotty, that would have been amazing. Now this is... <laughs> I just can't do anymore. This is worth two points, Krishnan. According to actor Walter Koenig, why was the character of Chekhov added to the Enterprise crew in 1967? 
I wouldn't have a clue. Because <laughs> he looked like Davy Jones from the Monkees. It's correct, Joe Stapleton, but unfortunately you can't steal a bonus question, so you still don't have any points. That's pretty impressive, though, that I knew that. Now, this is actually your question, Christian. You're 2-0 up. Uh, it's another question about Star Trek II. Who plays the genetically engineered tyrant Khan Noonien Singh? Oh. No, I'm afraid I'm this one. Ricardo Montalban. Joe Stapleton, you're on the board with a point, and you now get the Woo! bonus question, Yay! which is potentially worth two points. Who played Montalban's sidekick in the 70s TV show Fantasy Island? That, uh, let's see, hold on, I'm gonna come up with his name. Hervé Villages. And he gets it right! And Joe Stapleton takes the lead just like that. He is 3-2 up. <laughs> Joe, this is your question. Who plays Spock's mother in the 2009 movie version of Star Trek? Winona Ryder. Correct. Oh, no, it's a late tear from Stapes. The bonus question, in which film does Ryder play a taxi driver who dreams of becoming a mechanic? Uh, oh, um, coffee and cigarettes? Incorrect. The answer was Night on Earth. Ah, shit. Okay. Same director. I just got the... Okay, you are going to need, Krishnan, to get your this correct question correct and you're going to need to get the bonus question as well in order to win okie dokie Star Trek Into Darkness I know it was a steaming turd but the question relates to this movie wait did you think it was a steaming turd Krishnan um the newest no idea. <laughs> the newest the newest Star Trek movie did you not see it no, I haven't watched it. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. In that case, in that case, um, a question about Star Trek Three: The Search for Spark instead. <laughs> Who played the villain in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spark? This is my backup oh, question. Great, Scott. It's Christopher Lloyd. It is. That is correct. And now. This is the bonus question, and if you're listening carefully, Mr. Stapleton just gave you the answer. Did I? What is the name of the character Christopher Lloyd plays in the Back to the Future movies? Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, boy. Christian. Christian, there are so many... There's so much SMH happening right now. Oh, I'll bet there is. <laughs> All over the world. Actually, you didn't give the answer. You gave his catchphrase, I right? gave him a clue. Yeah, it's not the answer. Don't let my don't let my catchphrase throw you off. Oh, no. Looks like I'm going to be beaten because my brain is just not working now. Oh. Put him out of his misery, Joe. It's Dr. Emmett Brown. Not that you can steal ah. that, but not that you needed to because Joe Stapleton by a narrow margin of one point, has defeated Krishnan four points to three in Superfan versus Stapes. Krishnan, I tell you what, because I like you, kid. You seem like a nice boy. Send me your uh, Poker Star screen name, and I'm going to send you the uh, the equivalent of a Step C ticket anyway. Well, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. And keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Krishnan. And, of course, we'll make sure that we send you, from the goodness of our hearts, the Everyone Loves a Chop Pot t-shirt as well. Yay! <laughs> I, love, I love it. Thank you very much for taking part, Krishnan. Thank you. See you when I see you guys. So I do have a, I do have a confession to make that uh, Krishnan. Now I actually feel really 
stupid that I didn't get more of those answers right, James, because when I was in college or at university, as they say in Europe, uh, about to get my degree in film and television, all of my friends who were like in business or biology, they had these crazy, you know, thesis papers they had to write. Not like doctorate thesis papers, but you still have to do a final paper. My final paper in the television department was on Star Trek. Like, and everyone's like busting their asses, like taking like caffeine pills and like staying up all night. I'm like, hmm. The, what, Kirk, the what, Kirk Uhura kiss, that was something. What angle did you take on it? Was it yet another study of how Star Trek reflected social sensibilities of the time? Uh, it was obviously partly that, but also it was more like the reason why the show was a failure was because they weren't ready for it. I mean, the show lasted okay, well, that's like... Okay, that's an interesting angle. The show lasted two seasons. My angle was that it was too progressive audiences weren't ready they weren't ready for aliens they weren't ready for interracial kisses they, they weren't, weren't ready for something shot in color yeah i mean that's i mean those are all things that sort of uh that it was sort of it was way ahead of its time and that's also uh you know proved by the fact that it's become only more and more popular yeah. since then so it was really fun though so some of those things the checkoff thing I knew that because that was part of my research that so that's why they added him was because the monkeys were huge and they were like ah oh, we just want to we want to get that teenage girl Davy Jones crowd, which I don't think any of us at this point uh, find that actor to be particularly heartthrobby. Well, the weird thing is, in, in researching that question, the official reason why Chekhov was added, according to Gene Roddenberry and according to NBC, was that people felt that there should be a Russian on board, that by the time we get to the year, whatever it was, 2245, that you know, the Soviets and the Americans would be working together on the space program. Yeah. And it makes sense that there would be a cosmonaut on board as well. So they kind of gave us kind of a detente themed official reason. But Walter Koenig was like, no, that was bullshit. It was purely because they were trying to tap into the team. I mean, market. certainly that's why he specifically was cast, even if that was like one of their original intentions. Like they definitely cast a dude that looked like one of the monkeys because he looked like one of the monkeys. That's it, guys. We're done with the show. Just a little bit of house cleaning. Yeah, I just realized uh, it was many, many weeks ago that we were last here, but I think we had a competition in that show. We did have a competition. I uh, lamented how much cash I ended up dropping to see Muse at the Download Festival because of all the fucked up things that happened while I was there. <laughs> and uh, the answer to that question was I added it all up, like the Burger King receipts and getting ripped off by the cab in the hotel and the 20p I spent on the phone call calling stupid ass Travel Lodge. And uh, I spent... 1,460 pounds in 52p, including oh the tickets. Oh, my God. On that particular weekend. That's including rental car and gas. Excuse me. Oof. You know, I had a you know I had a bagel from the place next door this morning. Six pounds they charged me for a bagel and cream cheese. And it was so bad, they should have paid me to take it off their hands. I don't... Six pounds for a bagel and cream cheese? Joe, nobody sane buys a bagel from a shop at Piccadilly Circus. It's obviously going to be A, expensive, B, no good. That's the difference between, that's another difference between like America and the UK. Like you wouldn't go like, nobody would buy a bagel from a place in Times Square. Of course they would. It's fucking Times Square. Everything's great. That was the mistake you first made when you came to London. <laughs> I'm going to go to eat in Leicester Square. I know. No, no. Huge avoid mistake. like plague. So anyways, as long as we're talking about how expensive shit is. Yes, 1,460 pounds, 52p is what I spent. Who was closest? And Sam, a.k.a. The Manic Flea guessed 1,468 pounds, 22 pence. So she was like seven pounds off. That's pretty good. Pretty good. So I sent Sam the uh, the not yet washed 
download sweatshirt. <laughs> now, she was a little disappointed because it didn't show up as dirty as she expected. There was just a couple of little... What did she actually want? Did she want mud or did she want Stapes DNA? <laughs> I don't know, but you know what? Sam, let's talk. Let's talk about it. Maybe we can run another competition. Another show coming up next week. As we mentioned, I'll be doing it from the US of A. We'll be recapping the PCA main event show number one. Love the PCA. Always great shows. Always a good time. And a quick reminder that if you want to watch these shows, by the way, they are on the PokerStars YouTube channel. They're uploaded every Wednesday. If you're in the UK, they go out on Channel 4 on Tuesday nights. And of course, we will be recapping Daniel's birthday party happening in Toronto this weekend. And James and I are staying an extra night in Toronto and a, and a really cool dude named JJ has offered to set me up with three open mics in Toronto on Sunday night. And James is going to tag along. James is not going to be performing. No, God, no. But he's going to be there. And so I promise that Moral next week... Moral support, Joseph. That's, that's why right. I'm there. Next week, I will bring in some clips from each of those open mics. Uh, open mics. Hopefully I can not fuck it up that badly when I'm open mics uh, I can get my words out that night so I'll bring you guys some clips of that so PCA main event next week Daniel's birthday party show from two different continents that is all the time we've got for this week's show for James Hardigan I am Joe Stapleton smell you later <laughs>